Are y'all tired? Isn't that a dumb question to ask? In a recent survey, if you're a woman that works full-time, a recent survey has shown that you are working on average 8.33 hours every day. If you're a full-time working man, you are working more than nine hours every day. In fact, Americans work more hours every year than nearly every other country on earth, especially other countries that are like us in terms of their industrialized society. Very few of us get paid vacation time. I do. Thank you. Danny does. We're grateful. Uh, We try to use it. But for a lot of us, we don't. And maybe for some of you, you don't. And even when you do get vacation time, you don't choose to use it all. Partly because of the work that you have in front of you, partly because of family obligations. Instead, you just keep working. The Wall Street Journal recently reported that because of inflation, more and more professionals, white-collar professionals, are working part-time jobs in addition to their full-time jobs just to make ends meet. I have a friend who works retail, and we were texting the other day, and he said, yeah, I don't have any more days off until January 1st. Do you know that feeling? You feeling that right now? Between school your work, your side hustle, your family responsibilities, any volunteering that you do, stuff that you do here around church, there are no open slots on your Google calendar. A couple weeks ago, I posted this thing on Facebook that adulthood is saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit, over and over until you die. Wouldn't you love to have a Naomi in your life? Chapter 3, verse 1. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Wouldn't you love someone to say, you know what? I'm going to seek rest for you. I'm going to pursue rest on your behalf. Naomi wants to ensure that Ruth has security that Ruth has rest. And in this culture, that means marriage. And the obvious candidate for Ruth's husband is Boaz, verse 2, our relative. He is a kinsman redeemer. This is a phrase that has been bandied about over the course of this book as we've been preaching through it. A close male relative of Naomi who had certain responsibilities in the family. In fact, there are three big responsibilities that a kinsman redeemer had. One, in the Old Testament, if your relative was murdered, a kinsman redeemer had the responsibility for avenging that family member's death. Another responsibility that a kinsman redeemer had would be to redeem you out of slavery if you put yourself into slavery in order to pay a debt, or if you sold off a piece of land in order to pay a debt, it would be his responsibility to use family money to purchase you out of slavery or to recover that piece of land for the family. And then the third big responsibility that a redeemer had if he was close enough to the family, was to raise up an heir for someone who had died. 
so that the family name wouldn't die out. He is the obvious candidate, as Ruth will tell him, you are our redeemer. So Naomi hatches this crazy plan to secure Boaz as a husband for Ruth. In verse 2, we read that the work of the barley harvest is nearly over. Boaz has gone up to the threshing floor. They're beating out all of the barley. Then they're throwing it up into the air. The, The wind is rushing up off of the Mediterranean, catching the barley and pulling that away from the chaff. So they're, winnow- they're threshing it, and then they're winnowing their harvest. But here, by this point in the process, it's really kind of at the end. They're almost done with this harvest, and you know maybe you've experienced this too. When you get to the end of a big project at work, or the end of moving into a new house, or the end of something, it's kind of more of a party than it is a process. It's it's more of a celebration than it is work. And so there's going to be a big dinner and there's going to be happiness and celebration and Naomi wants Ruth to go to the threshing floor that night. So she tells her to wash herself and anoint herself with oil. But it's not enough for Ruth to just show up ready for a party. Instead, Naomi tells her to do something dangerous. Naomi is putting Ruth's reputation on the line. She wants to go to the threshing floor without anybody seeing her. She wants Ruth to go to the threshing floor, find Boaz, and lie down next to him. Friends, it is hard for us to realize in our culture how dangerous and how scandalous this plan really is. It would be as if you would tell a single friend or your teenage daughter to get dressed up, go over to Lover's Lane, and sneak into the back of a Chevy. Really? That's how we're going to find a husband? In Israel's history, the threshing floor was a site of great sin. The Old Testament prophet Hosea actually complains that God's people would consort with prostitutes at the threshing floor. Naomi is sending Ruth into a dangerous situation. Why? Why does Naomi think that this is important? Why is Naomi so intent on Ruth undertaking this mission? It's because she knows that if Ruth doesn't get married again, as a Moabite widow, as a foreigner without a husband, without children, with no brothers, with no father, with no other male relatives, Naomi knows that Ruth's life will be filled with hardship and turmoil. She would be at the mercy of evil men. We know that she is a diligent worker. We've seen her at work for seven, eight weeks here in the book of Ruth. She's strong. She can do things for herself. But at some point, without someone to care for her, when her body gives out, she will be reduced to begging. Naomi is seeking rest for Ruth. 
Rest from her labors. Rest from her worry. Rest from her long pilgrimage out of Moab. Naomi is working to ensure that Ruth has a place in Israel. That she belongs to the covenant people of God. Ruth needed security. Ruth needed rest. Ruth needed a redeemer. And his name was Boaz. In verse 6, Ruth gets to the threshing floor and the party is just winding down. But it's obvious that it was quite the party. Verse 7, Boaz's heart was merry. And Boaz goes to sleep on a pile of grain and under cover of darkness, Ruth moves in, uncovers his feet and lies down. One of the challenges of reading a story in English that was originally told in a different language is that important details are often lost in translation. And in this instance, a Hebrew reader or a Hebrew listener would have noticed quite a bit of innuendo that was intended to keep their attention riveted on the storyteller. What exactly did Ruth uncover? The phrase in Hebrew is his feet. And yet that's also a euphemism for the lower half of a man's body. Whatever Ruth uncovered, she then lies down next to Boaz in the dark. I doubt that many of us would turn to Ruth chapter 3 to give advice on how to find a husband, okay? This probably isn't the direction that we would go. In verse 8, Boaz, we read, is startled. Maybe he felt a breeze. And And he discovers a woman next to him. You can almost hear his confusion, right? In verse 9, who are you? Ruth identifies herself. I am Ruth, your servant. And then she makes an astonishing request. She doesn't wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. Remember, that's what Naomi says way back up in verse 4. He will tell you what to do. Naomi takes, or Ruth takes matters into her own hands. She says, spread your wings over me. Ruth is proposing marriage to Boaz. But at the same time, she is humble with Boaz. She is seeking the fulfillment of the very blessing Boaz pronounced over her in their very first meeting some seven weeks earlier. Do you remember that? Chapter 2, verse 12. After Boaz and Ruth meet... Boaz's final words to Ruth are, the Lord repay your work, a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth is looking at Boaz and saying, you're the answer to that prayer. You're the blessing that God has for me. Cover me with your wings. So how does Boaz respond to Ruth's appeal? 
I think we're all set up for the passionate embrace, the Academy Award-winning kiss, the screen fading to black. And yet, plot twist. A wicked plot twist. There's someone else in the picture. There is a redeemer that is closer to Naomi than Boaz is. Verse 12. Now, if all of this was just about love, Boaz and Ruth could ride off into the sunset together. But it's more than love. There's a question of property. There's a question of an heir. And so Boaz has to take a step back out of obedience to the law of God to give the other relative a chance to perform his duty. But Boaz also promises Ruth that if that other relative doesn't want to do this, then Boaz will redeem her. The end of the chapter, verse 14, Boaz sends Ruth home before anybody could see that she had been at the threshing floor. He, he protects her reputation. And then he sends her home with a gift. Look at this in verse 15. Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. We read that and I think a lot of us think, oh, that's nice. He gave her some bread. He gave her some loaves of bread. Some of you make bread. You bring it to Sunday night. We have bread. It's, It's wonderful. Folks, six measures of barley is 80 pounds of barley. That this girl is hauling back into the city. Ruth is a big girl. She's strong. When Naomi sees this token of Boaz's intention to claim Ruth as his wife, you can almost hear her laugh. Be patient. Wait, my daughter, verse 18, until you learn how the matter turns out, for this guy ain't going to rest. This guy is going to make sure that this matter gets settled today. So once again, we're left with a bit of a cliffhanger. Will Ruth and Boaz be happy ever after, or will the other relatives swoop in and steal Ruth from Boaz? You've got to come back next week to find out. This story about Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, it's, it's a real story. It's the story of a real family in Israel's history. Ruth and Boaz are the great-grandparents of King David. But it's not just a story about this family. It's actually a story about Israel. Remember, all the way back in chapter 1, this story is set in the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king. There was nobody to rescue Israel from their sin and from their need. They needed a redeemer. Israel needed a redeemer. Because it's a story about Israel, it's also a story about you and me and the way that God is working in our lives. Just like Ruth, you and I are in desperate need of rest. Yeah, we we need rest from our daily labors. We need rest from the things that occupy our minds and our thoughts. But we also need rest for our souls. 
So much, I think, of even our own busyness in life is to mask the emptiness that many of us feel, the frustration that many of us feel, the the angst that we feel in our relationship with God. Is, Is he really going to come through for me? Ruth seeks out her Redeemer. You and I often run from ours. Ruth puts her reputation on the line, but our Redeemer put his life on the line for us. Ruth is a worthy woman who is known by the townspeople as a virtuous woman who works hard for her families, but friends, we are the very opposite of virtuous. If anything, our reputation as godless lawbreakers is the only thing that we offer to our Redeemer. We're no great catch, you and I. This is why Jesus must be like Boaz. Do you notice this? Boaz cannot and he will not redeem Ruth and Naomi until he perfectly obeys the law of God. Wouldn't it have been easy for Boaz to kind of just sidestep this other redeemer. He could appeal to the townspeople that Naomi and Ruth had come to him. He could conveniently ignore the law. And yet, to be Ruth's redeemer, Boaz must first obey the demands of the law. He has to give preference to this other relative. And it's only at that point that Boaz can then pay the price to redeem her. One of my friends as a pastor back east says, this is a beautiful picture of the dual nature of the work of Christ. He first fulfills the righteous requirements of the law of God, then he pays the price in his death on the cross. Maybe some of you have heard us talk about the terms the active and the passive obedience of Christ. This is what we mean. Obedience in life to the law of God is Christ's active work for us. His active obedience, his suffering, where we get the word passive, his suffering in death on the cross is how he atones for our sins. And it takes both. It takes both his obedience to the law as well as his sacrifice for sin. It takes both for you and I to be justified. Our sins are imputed to Christ so that we can be forgiven by his death on the cross. But in order to be counted righteous, we need his perfect obedience to the law. That's the great exchange that secures rest for us. One more thing that I want you to notice in this passage. Ruth has a promise from Boaz in verse 11. I will redeem you. But then Boaz gives Ruth a gift. And it's not just a gift that says, oh, you might be hungry. Here's some barley. He is an oversupply of barley. An abundance of the harvest. It's a seal. It's a guarantee of his promise. He has a promise, or Ruth has Boaz's promise in verse 11. And she also has the seal of his promise in verse 15. 
but now Ruth must wait. Boaz has sealed his promise with a gift, but now she must wait for the consummation of their marriage. Folks, you and I are in a similar situation. Our Redeemer has left for a short while. Not like Boaz to settle the claim of someone else. He has left in order to add to the bridal party. But it's hard to wait. It's hard to believe that what he promised will really come true. So just as Ruth was given both a promise and a seal, we have also been given a promise and a seal in the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 2, verse 23, we read that Ruth worked in Boaz's field until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. For about seven, eight weeks, roughly, Ruth has been at work. The beginning of the harvest falls at the time of Passover in Israel. And that means that the end of the harvest falls at the time of Pentecost. Ruth received a gift at Pentecost, a seal of Boaz's intention to take her as his wife. Friends, our Savior poured out his spirit on Pentecost as a seal of our inheritance, a seal of our relationship to demonstrate to us his intention to consummate his marriage to us. Just like Boaz won't rest until the matter is settled, our Savior, our Redeemer, will not rest until this matter is concluded. Brothers and sisters, he is at work even right now for you. Making a place of rest and security and safety for you. Even right now, he is at work providing for you a future and a hope. And even though we must wait, and even though the waiting is hard, friends, we can rest knowing that he will not rest until he comes back for us. Let's pray. Father, we're so anxious. We're so bothered. We get so tied up in everything that's going on around us. And it masks our real concerns. The concern that maybe the promise is too good to be true. Oh, Father, seal that promise in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And encourage us and equip us and strengthen us to rest in hope to wait in faith, to believe, and to look for the coming of our Savior. Oh Lord, come quickly, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.